Good morning, ZPC. It's always a great sound. Welcome. We're so glad you guys can join us this morning. And for those of you who are at home as well, we are glad that you uh, are comfortable. We are going to continue on our series called Grace Dangers, but before we jump into our scripture, I just wanted to do one more time. He is risen. That's fantastic. Now, join me as we read our scripture this morning. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend." Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Well, he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this chance to dive into your word. Lord, to take it in and to allow it to transform us. Father, it is our wish to look more and more like your son. And we pray that today we can do so. In his great and holy name, amen. Well, this morning, uh, for all of ZPC staff and, and worship volunteers, it tends to start pretty early. I believe Jason might actually even sleep here on Saturday nights uh, because we get here in the morning and uh, we're sort of going around making sure all loose ends are organized and set up. And if any of you have kids, you've seen that the gym becomes a check-in location because, you know, obviously... There was a pandemic slash is a pandemic. And so we decided that having our check-in inside the next-gen area, sorry, inside the gym, would be a bit safer. So every single week we go out there and we drag these tables out. We set everything up. And this morning, like every other morning, I show up to kind of do my part. And Brendan and Kira, Brendan, our middle school director, Kira, our student ministry intern, being amazing as they are, I actually had it all done before I walked in. I was like, oh, cool, this is great. What an easy morning. So then Brendan and Kira began to ask me, hey, uh, how are you feeling about today? Oh, I feel 
medium. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not going to say this is the greatest sermon ever given, uh, but I'm also not going to assume that it's the worst sermon ever given. You're right down the middle. That's how I feel. And Brendan kind of pauses and looks at me in the eyes and kind of looks up a little bit, and I'm kind of like, hmm, and he goes, did you cut your own hair? <laughs> this morning, a couple hours ago, I told that story last hour, and he, he made a loud cringe sound over in his area because that is, in fact, what he asked me. And for those of you who are curious, the answer is yes. <laughs> I do cut my own hair. Thank you, COVID, because over that pandemic, I didn't know when I was allowed to go get my hair cut. I started kind of freaking out about it. I was anxious and stressed, and I didn't know if it was going to be a social faux pas to go get my hair cut. You know, I just felt like that was weird. So uh, at the point where it got long, okay, like bad long, not good long, because there's good long hair and there's bad long hair. When it was bad long hair, uh, I decided, well, I better go for this. So I Googled a lot of things. There's a lot of videos of people with rubber bands around their heads to keep track of where the clippers were going. There's all these different strategies, yada, yada. And I went for it. And I got to say, it didn't turn out too bad. So much so that now I'm stuck with it because I don't actually know where to go from here. And I don't actually have a deep enough relationship with a stylist or a barber where I could go in and say, what now? Because do I just let, you know, I don't know. I don't have a plan for this. This was not, I didn't plan that far ahead. And interestingly enough, when I tell that story, some people in this room are like, you don't have a stylist? You don't have a barber? Because some of you people have this very personal, intimate relationship with your hair person. They know everything about your life, maybe more than your significant other. And if you were to ever leave them, you can't. <laughs> this is a bond that cannot be broken. And that's too much for me. That stresses me out. I don't know if I could be held accountable to that intense of a relationship. So I, even in high school, would just sort of go to places and have just people cut my hair. And in high school, part of this was for me, I had really long hair. And this was not bad long hair. This was glorious long hair. This was flowing and long and it foofed off to the side perfectly every time. And I mean, if you've seen photos of Justin Bieber, I did it first. I believe I did it better. I can't dance like he can. I'll give him that. But as I would go in to get my hair cut only every six months, because you don't want to give too many people too much control over that, you want it to happen naturally, uh, I would go in with all the stress and anxiety about who's going to screw this up, who's going to mess this up, yada, 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 yada. Well, as a consequence, to this day, I don't want to have a committed hair person. So I just go places. I just find places. And I say, hey, I need you to clean this up. Can you do this thing? Yada, yada, yada. They're very kind. They're always very generous. And it's always just a little bit weird. I, I'm realizing people have the same person because they trust this person not to freak them out. I don't have the same person because that freaks me out, so I just have to accept that the, the weird, random people who cut my hair do freak me out, and that's just a part of the experience now. Uh, I have a couple, I have a list of the last four people who cut my hair to give you kind of a little bit of context, and then I want to tell you about one in particular. So the last person who cut my hair, 
uh, worship pastor on the south side. Apparently cuts hair up in Carmel on the weekends. It's a good gig. I like it. I like him. Nice guy. The guy who cut my hair before that was a student ministry pastor from downtown. Ironically, at the same location, it's sort of like this ministry side deal, I think. They're just, everyone's going over there to make a couple extra bucks. Uh, before that was a Syrian man who had to tell me about his life, and we talked about soccer. And you don't get to do that often. You don't get to have a conversation with people about, like, German soccer leagues and English soccer leagues. You don't, it's just not often. This guy, he knew his stuff. It was a fun time. That was a fun haircut. Uh, and the person before that was an ex-con who somehow managed to slip that into the conversation when using a straight razor to clean up my neck. And, and I got to tell you, I don't want to stereotype, but a lot of internal baggage got kicked up in that moment, and I was a little bit weirded out, I'll be honest. But this other person really takes the cake. Actually, so much so that I got a call from Jerry on Thursday afternoon uh, after I kind of walked him through what I was thinking about sharing and talking through, and, and, and I shared this story with him, and he was like, let me think about it. And he said, no, no, that's too weird. <laughs> so I'm giving you guys the watered-down friendly version <laughs> because it's that weird. <laughs> <laughs> so to give you a little bit of context, you go into the salon and ish, I don't know, is it a male salon? It doesn't matter. So you go on in and I sit down and this wonderful kind lady comes up heavily tattooed, which of course doesn't mean anything. But if you have any baggage inside of you, you're sort of like, ooh, what, what am I getting? This is, this is going to be an adventure. You know she's got a little edge to her. You know she's going to have a little attitude. You're going to have a fun conversation. It's going to be great. She's going to make fun of me for cutting my own hair. It's going to go very, very well. And during this haircut, we're five to ten minutes in or so, and, and of course, the dreaded question arises for any pastor, what do you do for work? And here's why it's dreaded. It's not because I, I don't like that I work at a church, and it's not that I, I'm ashamed of this by any means. It's because as soon as I say I work at a church, what happens is someone's lizard brain kicks in and suddenly their language gets cleaned up. Their posture straightens. You know what I mean? Like if you guys have been in those moments, or maybe you've had that moment, and suddenly they just start inexplicably explaining how busy Sundays have been. They don't go to your church. I don't, you don't go to my, do your thing. You don't owe me anything. Please cut my hair. And they just sort of turn in this moment. Well, this lady went a totally different route. One that I was not expecting, uh, but have since seen happen a few more times. I don't know what this is, but it, it intrigues me immensely. Because this woman decided to, instead of clean up her language, make it more crass. And instead of trying to polish up her life, she sort of started just airing out her dirty laundry. And I will say, oversharing. <laughs> Too much. Uh, the moment that I sort of was like, this, this, might be a, this might be the weirdest experience of my life, is while getting, you know, we're like 20 now, 20 minutes into this conversation, and uh, she's saying, you know, my, my roommate and I are looking to try to get a new place, and I'm just a little hesitant because I don't want to have to relocate my collection, which if no one specifies what their collection is on the first time, don't ask the follow-up question, what do you collect? Because you open yourself up to this moment where she says, oh, I collect animal appendages in jars. 
<laughs> really? How do you, when do you, who, do you have a guy? Like, what is the, how do, so if you're feeling any sense of discomfort, remember, this is the watered-down version of this story. <laughs> and what was interesting in this interaction that, like, kind of haunts me a little bit to this day is why? Like, why would this person, just this just human being, suddenly transition into sharing all of these personal failures, weird hobbies, and just airing it all out and just kind of, and I just didn't quite understand it at the time, but as I think on this story, what I see happening here, at least I believe is happening here, maybe I'm completely off base, is this woman was trying to ask a question without actually asking a question. She was laying before me the contents of her life as a representative of God to her in this moment. She was laying the contents of her life in front of me and inviting me to make a judgment and inviting me to make an evaluative statement. You know, and, I, and, and many people would have different ways of approaching this, and I just have one that just keeps asking more questions, so I never quite gave her one. But I never told her, you're not enough. I never told her, you're too screwed up. I'm really grateful I didn't say anything along those lines. That would be horrible in those moments. But this woman was asking this question, one of the oldest questions that humans have ever asked. Will I be accepted? Or will I be rejected? Is this space safe? Can you hold this space? Am I enough? Or am I undeserving? And what's interesting is this practice of asking a question behind a question or a question without a question is, it's very hard to nail down. It's sort of like trying to define, like, love. You can't really define it, but you can define the things around it. Right? You know what I mean? There's almost like a negative space, and you can't really quite describe what's in the center of this space, but you can describe all the stuff around the space. When I think about those things, I like to call those things matters of spirit. Things that tap into our core. The kind of conversation pieces or things that we think about that are actually like linked directly to our identities and our hearts. And for some reason, I was at the right place at the right time <laughs> to have this absurdly confusing conversation with someone who decided to say, here's the negative space in my life. Is this okay? <laughs> Am I okay? And these matters of spirit are the kinds of things that pastors try to nail down. And ironically enough, it's like, it's like when you nail down a butterfly to put it into your collection, when you organize it well enough, once you get it where it belongs so you can observe it, take a look at it, it loses what makes it a butterfly. So these matters of spirit are the kinds of things that kind of breathe and move and change and are alive because... There's no way to quite capture it. And in my estimation, this is what's happening with the Jewish lawyer. I'm cheating a little bit. It actually just says he's trying to justify his actions uh, behind there. But this lawyer has a question behind his question. This Jewish lawyer has this question behind this question. His question initially being, who is my neighbor? 
who is my neighbor? Because you see, he's, he's already established that he knows what he must do to inherit eternal life. He's already established that he knows what he must do. It's very clear. The law is put forth. And if this is a Jewish lawyer, lawyers study the law. So spoiler alert, this Jewish lawyer is really adept at knowing the law. And he knows what it takes to inherit eternal life. And he goes to this teacher and Jesus responds as if, yeah, this is pretty self-explanatory. You answered your own question, why did you ask me? Because the lawyer had to ask the actual question he wanted to ask. But who is my neighbor? Which if there's, I don't know if there's a more annoying question in all of scripture. I don't know. There might be. I'm sure somebody knows one that's more annoying than this question. But it's sort of like when you tell your kids to clean up the dishes after dinner. And they come back with plates and then vanish. And you're like, no, no. I meant like get all the stuff, help clean up. And they were like, but you said dishes. You know, you know, you've been there. We've been there, right? Or you, maybe you're the kid in that moment where you're just like, uh-uh, you did not spell it out. And this, because this expert of the law, this expert of the law is very clear on the specifics of the law, and he wants to get even more specific because the more specific you are, the less people are included in the solution. You see, Jesus didn't want to quite answer this question because if he answered this question, he'd be answering a totally different question. Because the question behind the question was more, who must I love? What's enough? What's the bare minimum I can give here? In this moment, in this space and time, in my life, in all of my existence, when dealing with this matter of spirit, what is the least amount I can do to have the least impact on somebody that will be considered acceptable? What an annoying question. I mean, I admit, we've all been in that space where we've asked the question, what's the least I can do in this moment? Typically, that revolves around, like, cooking dinner for me at times. Like, what's the least I can do in this moment to get food on the table? But when your question is, what's the least I can do to look like a good person? <laughs> it's kind of annoying. It just doesn't work for us. Well, so Jesus does this fantastic strategy here. Uh, there's a question behind the question, so Jesus sort of teaches without teaching. He does this thing where he doesn't actually address what's going on here. He just goes ahead and tells a story, and he tells a story about a man who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this road is about 15 to 17 miles long, roughly, in there, which means for a Jewish man of the day, it was a one-day trip, right? And so uh, that people would travel to Jericho because, I don't know if you know this, Jericho was great. A lot of palm trees, actually a lot of freshwater springs. It was a beautiful place to go. And people would go there for vacations, maybe, I wouldn't say all the time. I'm not 100% sure on how effective TripAdvisor was at that time. But I know that they would go. And they could stay there and have a fantastic time with your family. You could bring extended family, maybe your kids. There's a lot to do. You could rob people on the way. You know what? It was a whole experience going to Jericho. Because what happens is when you gather the wealthy and influential, typically what happens is on the fringe of that area or society, we, tend, we see those who are in need. 
Because where else would you go? If you need money, why would you not go to where the money is? If you need help, why would you not go to where the help is? If you need extra resources, why would you not go to those spaces? So this road is not only full of people who would be asking for help, but people who would be hunting those who have excess. So this is a dangerous road. So this man gets jumped. He gets robbed. He gets beaten. He gets left within, uh, we'll say, within an inch of his life. More specifically, half dead. And he's laying on the side of the road, and thank God that God has sent a man of God to Jericho, of all places, at this moment to be his savior. Can you imagine that? I mean, we've been there. Many of us have been in those moments where you're clearly not okay, it's not a question. There might actually still be blood flowing. <laughs> and somebody just sort of like opted out of you as an experience. You see, what's interesting is uh, people don't know why the priest moved on. And of course, they don't know why the Levite moved on, who follows. There's no like specific thing. There's a couple different reasons people guess at. You see, uh, if I was a robber, the best way... To catch somebody unawares is to leave bait. So I would leave an injured person on the side of the road, hoping that a good person would stop, so then I could jump this good person. So maybe that was why they passed on. There's another explanation that's typically tossed around, is this idea that uh, there's some ceremonial uncleanliness that would be bestowed upon them by stepping into this man's life. Now, we don't know about like the man's like sins itself or if there are any, whatever. But what we do know is that a, ser- like a purification ritual for these religious leaders, I mean, could take upwards of a week or more. And I'll tell you what, when I am on my way to the Wisconsin Dells, because that's what I picture as a really nice place. If I'm on my way to the Wisconsin Dells, I don't want to give up my whole next week so I can be like in the bath, metaphorically. I don't want to have to separate myself from my community. You know, seven months ago, standing in a grocery store, masks on, you know, people, pretty stressful time. And somebody in front of you drops their purse or a bag, and now you're hit with this moment of, do I do the kind and courteous thing and try to help pick this up? and risk both of our jobs for the next 10 days? (laughs) Or do I not? It's a terrifying moment. I never knew what to do. I always panicked, and I walked around those people. I would just sort of like, your things are there, and then I would wander off. And, because I didn't know what to do. And I wonder if that's this tension that maybe these, this Levite and this priest were experiencing, and this man on the side of the road, however, I gotta tell you, that doesn't really matter to him at this moment. He's just being forgotten, abandoned, left behind by those who represent God. So the Samaritan comes along, and the Samaritan does some pretty incredible stuff. I mean, he, he, he bandages him. One, apparently he knows how to do this. I, if you are injured, I am not the one you want. I wouldn't know what to do. And I probably would forget to call the people who know what to do. So we, we want to have somebody who's ready for this. This guy, Samaritan, was ready for this moment. 
He was equipped to be able to help this person. He was equipped to be able to help comfort this person, get him on an animal, get this person over to the inn, get the person in the inn, and then pay for his time there. And actually, um, it's, it's thought that the two denarii that he gives him buys roughly three weeks' stay at the inn. Like, we don't have free health care, but this guy just paid for this guy's health Like, I mean, literally pulled this guy's medical bills for, like, three weeks. And then said, yeah, and any extra that you need me to cover, I'll be back. <laughs> and I'll pay for. It's a lot of money. It's not nothing. And so, Jesus tells the story and asks the lawyer, which of these men was a neighbor? And I know you can't, maybe you can't see, maybe you can't see, maybe you're feeling this with me. Um, but it's always, 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 always uh, a tense moment when you start questioning the morals and ethics of your leadership in front of the people they're leading. Because you see, we're at Passover and we have the Jewish leader, this lawyer here, amidst a group of Jewish people who are here to celebrate Passover. And Jesus just told a story about Jewish leadership walking past a person in need. I could, you probably make the jump here that some of these Jewish people in the crowd saw Jewish leadership walk past some people who were in need that morning. Maybe they even saw this lawyer himself walk past. Because Jesus' story is, is, is not absurd. If it was absurd, it would make Jesus look absurd and people would be like, ah, oh, this guy's kind of wild and he's just throwing out these crazy accusations. But when he talks about Jewish leadership, the ones who represent God walking past those who are in need, he's describing something without naming names. And that builds some tension in a room. <laughs> that creates a little bit of anxiety. The, the air gets kind of just sucked out. And you have these, these Jewish people who are slowly getting probably a little angrier and angrier and angrier, kind of listening to this. They're like, yeah, that is right. And the hero is a Samaritan in this story. Interesting. Jesus' little commentary on the religious. His commentary on us. Well, Jesus not only teaches this story without, you know, necessarily teaching. He just tells the story. But he also doesn't ever actually answer the question, who is my neighbor? Because the question's wrong. The question is wrong. The question assumes that there is a limit to who is deserving of your mercy. The question assumes that there even is an answer that might potentially exclude someone from your mercy or the mercy of God. The question itself reveals that this lawyer may know the letter of the law, but does not live by the spirit of the law. And so Jesus does not want to answer a question directly that's about the letter of the law, because that would be playing his game. That'd be jumping into this narrative that this man has, that yes, in fact, you do have to earn some of this. <laughs> some of these people don't deserve it. They're, they're not my neighbor. There are people who are not my neighbor. And just, that's not his thing. That's not his style. That's not his gospel. That's not his message. You see, Jesus says, which of these man, men was a neighbor? He shifts the focus on who receives mercy to who can deliver mercy. 
Instead of it being a conversation about who belongs, who's in the inn, who has done enough work to lift themselves up out of poverty to be deserving of my giving. Because I want to, you know, like, Jesus is literally saying that you cannot control the mercy of God. You cannot decide the direction to which it will flow. You have no authority in this area. I have no authority in this area. And what breaks me inside a little bit is that I know I have walked past people in need and thought to myself, I wonder what they did to get there. I know I've walked past people and looked at them and been like, ah, oh, they kind of deserve that. I have friends who have suffered miseries and sadnesses that then I go, yeah, but you should have seen that coming. This isn't out of nowhere. This has sort of been building. Were you not aware? I have decided for some people whether or not they are good enough to receive the mercy of God. And I have held that mercy back. And the invitation of Christ in this space is to not be the kind of person that will hold that mercy back, who will hold on tight to make sure and control, to say, I want my mercy to be the most effective mercy. I will only give to so-and-so or this and that so long as I know that they're trying hard enough according to my estimation. And this doesn't mean move without discernment. This doesn't mean give everything you have constantly and drain yourself into nothingness. But this means, instead of asking the question, who must I have mercy on or who must I love or who is my neighbor, instead asking the question, what can I do? Is there any mercy I can show here? What can I give? And instead of being so stuck like I have found myself at times in this shell of fear and anxiety that says, if I give something away, there will be nothing left for me or mine. To be caught up in the flood that is the mercy of God. The kind of flood that will strip everything away from your life and demand all of it and in return give you the infinite. So when he says, well, how do I inherit eternal life? Inheriting eternal life just like he says earlier on, is about letting go of those things that are holding you down and holding you captive. Is it soccer practice? Is it work? Is it your fear about your finances? Is it your own need to have control and authority? You see, God's mercy will demand all of it. Because if you have experienced the never-ending source of mercy, then you yourself can't help but display it. You don't wait for someone else to be deserving of the glory and mercy of God. You just pour it out. Because you recognize you don't get to choose who gets it. You don't get to do that at all. And so when you're getting your hair cut and you find yourself in this really uncomfortable situation, and you have a couple options here. You see, I could have rebuked her in love. I could have corrected her. I could have told her that X, Y, and Z was not acceptable. Or I could have seen her as a person and said, hey, 
tell me more. And in this moment, when she was expecting me to cast her aside and to, describe, to cry her as some sort of failure as a human being who is undeserving, <laughs> fortunately, by the grace of God, there was mercy that I was able to offer. To sit with, to participate in, to understand, and instead seek to be heard. Sorry, seek to hear, then to be heard. And for all I know, that accomplished nothing. Maybe it even caused harm. But I don't get to decide who gets the mercy of God. That's up to God. And so as we come out of this week of Easter, and as we come back into, um, I say reality because Holy Week for me was always a sort of week-long party. It still is. It's a very exciting time. Uh, As we step back in, let us not be deaf to the invitation of Christ to pour out the mercy of God relentlessly without concern for who is receiving this mercy whether it be giving of our time, our finances, our our thoughts, our prayers, our apologies, our kindness, whatever, our correctness. Let us hold these things lightly. Let's hold these things lightly together as a community. Because I need you to demonstrate that for me. Because we learn this together. Amen? Amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me. Lord, we thank you so much for today, and we thank you so much for your mercy, because God, we truly don't always deserve it. God, we know that you have sent your mercy to us as that flood, Lord, and it will invade every part of our lives if we allow it. God, I pray that today you would bring to us a reminder, a lighthouse of this mercy. Lord, a time where we know we did not deserve what you offered us, but you offered it freely. Let us go be your hands and feet. In your son's great and holy name, amen.